are listening to Open Mic Friday on Law and Gospel on this October the 2nd in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we are responding to letters, emails, etc. One of the common things that we're getting these days is questions about the gay lifestyle, uh, particularly in light of the fact that the Supreme Court has now okayed gay marriage, which is contrary to the word of God. In a recent Lutheran witness, President Harrison made a very clear point that the Supreme Court has now stood for things that are contrary to the Bible. And so it's important that we Christians are able to answer questions. I'm gonna deal with two questions today that you often hear. And this is a conversation I have in Uber occasionally. I often like going to areas where there are homosexual bars and I'll pick up an individual there and try to get them into a conversation. And about 30 to 40% of the time, we're able to talk about religion when they find out I'm a pastor. Oh, what religion are you? Lutheran and then I'll ask them questions. Well, two things that come to mind that they often say is, number one, well, Jesus never was against homosexuality. That's what they say. And the second one is, is that God made me this way. So we're going to respond to that. And the reason I'm doing that also is that we talked about some of the books that we publish with Torellian Productions. One of them is called Christianity and Homosexuality by Pastor Peter Kurowski. It's a wonderful, wonderful book to help give us answers to some of these questions. So in the book, he talks about, did Jesus ever speak out against homosexuality. He makes a point that in Matthew, Jesus is talking about marriage and says that you stay marriage, stay married unless there is, and the Greek word is pornea, that has occurred. That word is where we get the word pornography. So it can be an act of adultery, an act of homosexuality, etc. But when that marriage bond is broken, so there's one example. But we also need to understand that Jesus spoke out against this even in the Old Testament. A lot of people don't realize this, but there are 69 Old Testament references of Jesus who appear to Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, Samson's parents, Elijah, Zechariah, and others. And when he appears, he's often referred to as the angel of God or the angel of the Lord. This is prior to his incarnation. And yet what he does He walks like God, talks like God, and speaks like God. In fact, it's very important to understand 
that the angel of the Lord is often referred to as Malak, Malak Yahweh. And one remembers that this angel is uncreated, all-powerful God and man. So in the early church, it was very clear that they spoke out against such sins, and this is in the New Testament. But Jesus is speaking throughout the whole Bible. When people say, well, Jesus never spoke out against homosexuality, they forget that the Bible was written by prophets and apostles inspired by God himself, particularly the Holy Spirit. And so the words of the Bible are all really words of Jesus. So, yes, the Apostle Paul is pretty clear about some of these items. Let's take a look at what Jesus has to say in Romans chapter 1. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now, that's simply saying people get guilty consciences when they sin, even if they're unaware of the God of the Bible. And yet, since the creation of the world, this is verse 20, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. In other words, if you're talking to individuals who are unbelievers, they often do say, yeah, I believe there's a God, but of course, they don't have a God that's made promises to them, but they have a God, well, he helped create the world. He may not have done it in six 24-hour days, they would admit. At least that's what their belief is. He did it through evolution. But they do have a sense that there is God. Verse 21 says, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. That's what the whole Reformation was about, is that many people had a darkened view of God, thinking that by their works, they were going to be saved. And so the church at the time of Martin Luther had a number of ways in which people could make up for their sins. And if they weren't able to do that, then they would end up going to purgatory if, if they were believers unbelievers would just go to hell. And this was a darkening of the mind, thinking that works make a difference to God as to whether you go to heaven or hell. Whereas Christianity teaches it's not works that saves anybody. It is faith in the promises concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. So verse 22, Romans 1 
professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Yeah, just go throughout uh, the world or listen to YouTube about the different religions in the world. Remember, even when Moses was on Mount Sinai, the people made a golden calf and worshiped it. So that's what they were doing. Even though they knew there was a God, they tried to control that God. And it's very interesting to note that the personality of the gods they worshiped or the idols they worshiped had the same personalities as they had. So they were very interesting making God in their image and were really quite ignorant of the fact that God made man in his image. Verse 24, we've been saying this for quite some time, that any time you sin, there is a consequence of sin. And here it comes, verse 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, what penalty did they receive? Well, the promises of God and the comfort of God come to unbelievers. Everybody is faced with tragedy and suffering. It's not at all unusual that we find high rates of suicide among gay individuals. And the reason for that is because this is part of the consequences of our sin. It's very important then that we take a look at these things, recognizing what we're dealing with, because what we're dealing with is, of course, sin. And that sin has consequences that we need to be aware of. We're still taking a look at Romans chapter 1. A very interesting uh, passage here where it says, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, filled with all kinds of unrighteousness. Now, the Apostle Paul continues to talk about what that unrighteousness is. In fact, 
That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, and we're looking at verse 8. No, you yourselves do wrong and defraud, and you do these things to your brethren. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we're all terrible sinners. And there's no doubt that even as Christians, though we may not have done some of these as deeds, at times we may have had evil thoughts or evil words. So will we not inherit the kingdom of God? Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6, after mentioning these sins, says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So there's no doubt that even as Christians, when we sin in these areas and repent of that sin, God forgives us and we have nothing to fear about going to hell because God is taking care of us. So the first point I want to make about Jesus never spoke about the gay lifestyle is absolutely not realizing that all the words of the Bible are the words from Jesus because through the Holy Spirit, they were inspired to write down God's thoughts. So it doesn't matter if Jesus, either as the angel of the Lord or he himself in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if he spoke against this, the rest of the Bible is also, what do we call it? The Word of God. When I was at the seminary, there were professors there that did not believe the rest of the Bible. They did not look at miracles as happening in a supernatural way and always had a reason why they had occurred naturally. Like, and I've mentioned this before, but in case you're wondering what I'm talking about, I was taught that when Jesus fed 5,000 individuals, those were men, not counting the women and children, so it was probably around 8,000 people he fed with a little bit of bread and some fish, I was taught that what had happened, these people knew they were going to go listen to Jesus and had to travel to hear him. So they took with them food that was kind of a lunch maybe, and they had it under their robes. That's the way they carried it. 
And when that little boy, he went and gave his food of bread and fish, then they brought out their food and shared it with others. And that's how the 5,000 plus were fed. Not at all what the Bible says. But we were taught that again and again. So that's the first question. Did Jesus ever speak out against the gay lifestyle? And the answer is, obviously he did. Because the Bible is against the gay lifestyle. And yet Jesus is the one who spoke about this again and again. Now to the second question. A lot of people are saying, well, God made me this way. Then how can you say that I am sinning if that's the way God made me? Peter Kurowski in his book has a experience that he had when he was visiting a woman who was a Christian, but she was living with a man who was not her husband, and she had a son who was gay. He writes, she blurted out words, writhing with pain of the other major heartbreak in her life. Pastor, I just can't understand why God would give my son his sexual orientation and then send him to hell for it. Well, that was a voice not of a Christian, but of an unbeliever. Pastor Kurowski writes, still in a strange way, I was glad she went for the jugular. And here's what, naming the woman, the God I worship, Pastor Kurowski says, does not operate that way. The God you just described is the world's picture of God. It is not the God who hung on the cross for my sins, your sins, and even the sins of your son. Jesus is not some mean kind of determinist. Now, you see, Calvin believed that God made a decision. It's called double predestination. He predestines not only those who go to heaven, but he predestines those who go to hell. And there's no way of knowing which one you are. Now, in Reformed theology that teaches that Calvinist teaching, they say, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, then you obviously have been ordained to go to heaven. But it's interesting what they say when somebody who's been a faithful member of the church attends regularly, comes to Bible class, gives offerings, and then for some reason falls from the faith 
and becomes a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness. Then you ask the Reformed, well, what happened to him? And the answer is, well, he really never had faith. Because if he had had faith, they believed that once saved, always saved. And there was no way he could fall away. So they have the idea that if he's fallen away from the church, he never had faith. That is a terrible teaching because it doesn't matter if you think you have faith. How do you know that you're not going to fall away and that this faith is not true saving faith? Particularly these days when so many people get confused with what's called historic faith rather than saving faith. Historic faith is believing the history of the Bible. Even that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. The devils knew that. They had that kind of understanding. And so did the unbelieving Pharisees who paid the soldiers to lie about the resurrection of Jesus and said the disciples came and stole the body. They knew he had risen in the same way that they agreed he had risen Lazarus from the dead. But they believed this was all a trick of Beelzebub. So once you have in your mind that Jesus, this carpenter from Nazareth, could not be the Messiah, then you interpret everything that he says and does in a demonic way. I mean, they accuse Jesus of having demons in him when, of course, he did not. And Jesus made a great point. If I have demons in me, why is the devil using me to get rid of demons in other people? He said, that doesn't make any sense at all. So we need to understand that the way a person is in a sinful attitude and nature doesn't mean that that's God's creation that he wanted. We already read where Paul lists the sins and says, some of you were like that. But through faith in Jesus Christ, repentance of the sins, guess what? God forgives you. You are not saved because you repent. You're saved because you have faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and for all people. And notice what Peter Kurowski did when the wife tried to ask him, why did God make my son that way? Peter Krausky immediately went to the preaching of the gospel in telling her about what Jesus did for not only her, but also for her son. Very important to understand when somebody is really feeling bad to the point like Martin Luther, they hate God. Why did God put my son in this kind of a situation? 
she was very upset with that and did not realize that sin is something you will to do. While we do not have free will in regard to spiritual matters in the sense of, okay, I'm going to believe in God, and you create faith in yourself, you don't have that free will. You do have free will in temporal matters, how you're going to choose to live your life. And so it's very clear that when we sin, guess what? We have consequences that God has built into that sin. And that's very helpful because when those consequences are made known and people fear God, then it's time to tell them about a God that, yes, they fear because they don't think they're going to be saved, but this is a God of mercy who does not give them what they deserve. And this God, Jesus Christ, the Father and the Holy Spirit, is a God of grace who gives you what you don't deserve. And there are many people who were living these kinds of immoral lifestyles that have come to faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Monday, uh, we're not going to be able to be in the studio, so there will be a, another lesson from earlier that we're going to be hearing. So tune in on Monday. At this time, we're going to be talking with you live Tuesday with Mark Smith and the hymn for that particular week. I'm Tom Baker. Till Tuesday, God bless you. Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.